Take your copy of God's Word and open it with me now to the Gospel of John chapter 11. And we're going to begin in a moment in verse 37. John chapter 11, verses 37 through 44. We're going to finish a story that we began uh, uh, three weeks ago. John eleven thirty-seven. There was a little boy once who was starting to ask questions about death, like small children are prone to do. He was about four years old. And so his mom and his dad, they tried their best to explain death to him in an age-appropriate way. And they told him about funerals, and they uh, told him about cemeteries. They explained how most people are buried when they die. Well, not long after that, they were riding down the road. They passed a cemetery, and one of those graves was opened in preparation of an upcoming funeral. And when that little boy saw it, he pointed and said, look, mom, one got out. Well, this morning, we're going to read the story of one that got out. And of course, I am talking about the raising of Lazarus from the dead. It's interesting. This is the seventh miracle in the gospel of John. Now, it's not the last miracle Jesus will perform before the cross, but it is certainly his greatest. You recall that Lazarus was very close to Jesus. At the beginning of the chapter, we're told that he was deathly sick. Everyone assumed Jesus would come quickly and heal him, but he did not. He waited. He remained where he was, intentionally arriving until Lazarus had been dead for four days. Why did he wait? He said in verse 4, For the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. The glory of God is going to be put on display. Jesus is going to reveal his glory by proving that he really is who he claimed to be in verses 25 and 26 when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Whosoever lives and believes in me will never die. All of chapter 11 points to that claim, and Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead in order to prove that that claim is true. Now, it ought to encourage us greatly to know that God can take something hideous, something terrible like this, and then bring something glorious out of it. And if you want an example of what that looks like, go no further than John chapter 11. God was glorified through the sickness and the death and the resurrection of Lazarus because his resurrection uh, shows us some things. And I want you to notice, first of all, that in the resurrection of Lazarus, we see a demonstration of power. A demonstration of power. Remember, in the verses before, we see Jesus weeping outside of the grave of Lazarus. And in verse 37, and some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also 
have kept this man from dying. We read in chapter 9 that Jesus gave sight to a man who had been born blind. And notice, they are not questioning that miracle. But they're asking, why could Jesus do one but not the other? Why was he able to heal the blind man, but he wasn't able to heal his friend? And the implication here is Jesus is powerful, but maybe he's not as powerful as we thought he was. That's really what they're saying. And so Jesus performs this miracle because he wants them to know and he wants us to know just how powerful he is. Look at verse 38. Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. For the second time in this chapter, we're told that Jesus groaned within himself. Remember, that is a groan of indignation. He's groaning in the sense that he is angry when he sees what our sin has brought to this world, and so Jesus is going to do something about it. He comes to this tomb, and I'm told that if you visit this part of Israel, uh, there are many rocky hills, and they would carve out a room into the side of that hill. You can find many of them in that part of the world today. Usually they had room enough to bury about eight people, and then they would cover up that tomb that they had carved into the rock using either a large stone or a pile of stones. This is, by the way, just like the kind of tomb in which Jesus is going to be buried just a few months later. But in verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus told them, take away the stone. Now we understand that the same Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead was capable of removing the stone himself. He told them to do it because God always prefers to use people to do what people are able to do. For example, the servants filled the water pots. Jesus turned the water into wine. The disciples distributed the food, but Jesus multiplied it. The people cannot raise Lazarus from the dead, but Jesus can, and he had them remove the stone. Martha, however, protests. She reminds Jesus that Lazarus has already been dead now for four days, and he stinks. In those days, they did not embalm the dead, and therefore, because of that warm climate, they had to bury a person very quickly, normally on the same day that they died, because a person began to decay quickly, they had to be buried quickly. 
But let me ask you a question. When you look at verse 39, does this sound like someone who really believes that Jesus has the power to raise Lazarus from the dead? I don't think so. She still doesn't get it. And so here's Jesus' reply in verse 40. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Jesus did not rebuke her, but he did remind her. He reminded her of that message that he sent to her back in verse 4. For before he had even arrived, when he said that Lazarus' sickness would not end in death, but in God's glory. Now that is going to happen, because Jesus said it would happen. That is a given. That is a fact. But notice, if Martha is going to see the glory of God, there is one condition. He said, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Martha, if you want to be a part of what I'm about to do, it's going to take some faith. And kind of like Thomas earlier in the chapter, I think we actually need to give her a little bit of credit. Martha's faith was small enough that she protested when Jesus told them to remove the stone. You know what? She had enough faith to have them remove the stone anyway. Her faith was small, but the faith that she had, she placed it in Jesus. And in verse 41, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Is it just me, or does this seem like a strange moment to stop and pray? The grave has been opened, and there is this putrid aroma that now fills the air, and yet you have this crowd of onlookers anxiously watching and waiting to see what is going to happen next. And it is at this moment that Jesus stops. The Bible says he lifts up his eyes, he looks up, and he begins to talk to the Father, and he speaks out loud, he didn't have to pray out loud, but he prayed out loud so that everyone around him would hear and would know that he really is doing the works of his father. He really is who he claimed to be, a living water, the bread of life, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the I am. The Bible says in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. In other words, we cannot cling to our sin and expect God to hear our prayers. 
Well, if Jesus has been lying all of this time about his identity, surely God will not answer his prayer to raise Jesus from the dead. If, on the other hand, God does answer Jesus' prayer, that means that everything that he claimed is true and we should believe him. And this is why Jesus stops to pray. Yes, he had the power in himself to raise Lazarus, and yet the Son only does what the Father is doing, and he wants to show them that. So he stops in that moment, he looks up, and he prays, and then we come to verses 43 and 44, and here's what I'd like to do. Let's read these two verses out loud together. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Boy, wouldn't we all love to have a time machine to be able to go back in time and be there? The Bible says Jesus cried. Now, that word means to shout with a loud voice. So there's shouting, apparently, and then there's loud shouting. This was the latter. This was loud shouting. And Jesus shouts out to the top of his lungs these three words, Lazare Dero Exo, Lazarus, come forth. Now, it has been said many times by many people over the years, it's a good thing Jesus said, Lazarus. If Jesus had merely said, come forth, every grave in the world would have been opened in that moment. He said, Lazarus, as if to say, you, Lazarus, and no one else, come forth. All of a sudden, one of the bodies in that grave begins to move, and ears that were rotting begin to hear, and a heart that was decomposing begins to beat, and feet that were deteriorating begin to walk And by speaking, just by speaking, these words, the same power that created the universe was unleashed on that tomb. Now, I said a couple of weeks ago, Jesus had to do it this way. Jesus had raised Jairus' daughter, but she had just died. Jesus raised the widow's son, He had not yet been buried. It was necessary for Jesus to take it a step further and to do it this way. He had to allow Lazarus to die. He had to wait four days so that everyone would know how powerful he is and that with Jesus, it doesn't matter if a person has been dead four minutes or 4,000 years. When he speaks... Storms are calmed, and demons flee, and sickness and heal is healed, and even the dead are raised. Now, if we could just begin to understand how powerful Jesus is, 
if we could begin to understand his power, we would not worry about the things that worry us. We would not be afraid of the things that scare us. We would not hesitate to go wherever he sends us or do whatever he tells us to do. We would not be intimidated by this world. We would not quiver in the face of death because the same Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead, he holds every believer and says, no one is able to pluck you out of my hand. Now, Jesus raised Lazarus as a demonstration of his power. There's something else that I want to point out that we see in this miracle, something else that just has to be said. We also see in this miracle a picture of salvation. We see a picture of salvation. You see, Jesus not only performed a literal miracle, but what Jesus did for Lazarus is also a picture of what happens every time a person is saved. For example, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, listen to this. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Before Christ, we were all spiritually dead. In fact, listen, we were just as dead spiritually as Lazarus was dead physically. That was our condition, and maybe for some listening to this message, that is your condition right now. You know, I have preached many funerals standing in this very spot over the years, and I just wonder, what if right now someone who had died were to be placed before us? What if their casket were stationed here? And what if we decided that we wanted to try to resurrect him? How might we do that? Well, what if we set a good example for him? Show him what it looks like to really be alive. Or what if we educate him? What if we place a textbook in his cold, dead hands and tell him to read it? What if we bring in the best professor, have him lecture, and tell that dead person to listen and take notes? What if we change the environment, remove all of the toxic people from his life? What if we encourage him what if we give him a pep talk? We could even bring in some cheerleaders. What if we go in the other direction and we decide to admonish him? What if we say, do better, try harder? None of these things will raise a dead person back to life because a dead person does not need better examples, a better environment or encouragement or admonishment. No, a dead person needs a miracle. A dead person needs resurrection. In the same way, you cannot teach or encourage or admonish 
a spiritually dead person, and there's nothing a spiritually dead person can do to improve upon his condition so that he is no longer spiritually dead. No, that man or woman who is dead in their trespasses and sins, they need a miracle. That man or woman needs resurrection. They need a Savior who can give them life. Now, how does this happen? Exactly the way it happened in John 11. Jesus spoke. Jesus spoke. The word of God was spoken, and that word imparted life, and Lazarus was raised. You remember what Jesus said when we were in John chapter 6, verse 63? He said, the words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. When the word of God is spoken, the spirit of God takes the word of God and uses it to bring life so that that man or woman becomes a child of God. This is why, in Philippians 2, Paul refers to this as the word of life. You remember that time God told Ezekiel to preach to a valley of dry bones? Dry bones? You can't get any deader than that. He told Ezekiel to preach. He preached. Bones rattled. Flesh was restored. The wind blew. Life returned. God performed a miracle, but he used the preaching of his word to do it. And this is how God works today. Listen, Christian brother, Christian sister, this word of God is powerful and when we speak it when we read it when we proclaim it when we share it dead people hear it and come to life but what happens next take another look at verse 44 and he who had died came and outbound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Lazarus is now alive, but notice he's still wrapped in his grave clothes. He's still bound hand and foot. His face is still covered. He looks like a mummy. Now Lazarus is himself alive, but for those first few initial moments, he had the appearance of one who was dead. You know what happens? When a man or woman is saved, all of a sudden, yes, they have new life. Everything changes. Everything is different. And yet, there is a sense in which they are still wearing the grave clothes of the old life. There are some grave clothes that need to be removed. There's some ways of thinking that need to disappear. There are some sinful habits that need to go away. There are some attitudes that need to be adjusted. Maybe there's some 
vocabulary that needs to change. God gives us life, but the grave clothes don't automatically fall off. They have to be removed and replaced. Now, we see a picture of what this looks like in Colossians chapter 3. I want you to listen to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Now notice, you were raised with Christ. You were dead, but now you're raised. Now you are alive. Okay, now what? Skip down to verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Now notice, you take off and you put on. And you take off and you put on. You take off the grave clothes of the old life. Things like anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy and lying and filthy language. You take off the grave clothes of the old life. You put on the new man, the new woman, who you are in Christ. And it's like you have a brand new spiritual wardrobe. But you see, it's Jesus' job to raise the dead. It's our job to unwrap the saints and help that new believer to take off those old grave clothes of sin and put on their new wardrobe in Christ. And so we have in John 11 a, a picture of salvation, a beautiful picture of what God has done in your life or what perhaps God wants to do in your life this morning. We have a demonstration of power, a picture of salvation, and one more thing, a preview of the future. A preview of the future. Now, if you go to see a movie, and if you show up on time, there are these things called previews. Previews of movies that are yet to come. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, it was a preview of some things that were going to happen shortly and some things that will happen one day. First of all, it's a preview of Jesus' resurrection. It's a preview of Jesus' resurrection. A few months later, Jesus will lay down on his, his life on the cross for you and for me, his body will be placed in a tomb. Only this time, the tomb will be sealed. This time, Roman soldiers will be charged with guarding it. And unlike John chapter 11, this time, an angel will roll the stone away. This time, God the Father will speak to God the Son and say, come forth. And this time, the one who rises, Jesus, will rise to never die again. You see, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead in order to point to his own resurrection. 
And I believe that the resurrection of Lazarus is probably one of the reasons why the gospel spread very quickly in the first century when people heard that the same man who raised Lazarus from the dead had also himself been raised from the dead. You know what? They believed it. They believed it. They told others about it. And the gospel spread. But Jesus himself had to die and he, he had to be raised from the dead because he came to undo everything that the curse of sin brought about, chief among those things being death. Hebrews 2.14 that says, through, through death, Jesus destroyed the power of, uh, of him uh, who held death, that is, the devil. And because Jesus died and because he rose from the dead, that means death now has no power over us. And like Paul, we can say, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The resurrection of Lazarus was a picture of the resurrection of Jesus, and it's also a picture, is a preview of our resurrection as well. It's a preview of our resurrection. In other words, what Jesus did for Lazarus. Christian brother, Christian sister, he will do for you. First Thessalonians 4.16 says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. You know why Jesus shouted outside the grave of Lazarus? He shouted because that's what he's going to do when he comes again. Once again, there will be a shout and the dead will rise. All of this is a preview of what Jesus is one day going to do for us. Back in May of 1940, Germany moved in and took over France. And one of the things that the Nazis did after doing so was they tightly closed all of the borders so that no one could come in and no one could get out. There was one town in southern France where they quickly discovered a way of escape. It turns out in that town there was a cemetery that was literally on the border with Spain. In the back of that cemetery, there was an ancient gate that had not been opened probably in centuries. But when someone died, the mourners would walk into that cemetery for the funeral, and you know what they did? They walked into that cemetery, and then they just kept on walking. Through that gate leaving the land of captivity and entering the land of freedom. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died and rose again, and because he did, the gate 
of freedom is open to us. He said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Maybe some of you are here this morning and you're spiritually dead, but Jesus is calling. And he's saying, come forth. Come out of that grave of sin and come to me and be saved. And what Jesus did for Lazarus, he will do for you. You join me as we pray. Our God, how we thank you for this story, not only the story of a literal miracle that took place 2,000 years ago, not only a reminder of just how powerful Jesus is, but also an, an illustration of, of what happens, what you do every single time a person is saved, when someone who is spiritually dead is made alive in Christ, when you give them new life. And God, I pray if that's anyone here this morning in this room or, or watching online, that this would be that moment that they hear that voice and that you, by your grace, would give them the ability to wake up from their deadness, to respond to this call to salvation. And God, how I pray that this would be that day that they confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that they walk through that gate into freedom and salvation in Christ. And Father, we thank you that in this story we also see a picture of not just what happened to Lazarus, but what happened to Jesus that he died, that he was buried, and by his own power he was raised from the dead. And because he is alive, he is Lord, and your word tells us one day he's going to come again, and once again there will be a shout, and when Jesus shouts this time there won't be any qualifiers. Every believer, everyone who's died in Christ will be raised, and we will meet them in the air. And Father, how we long for that day when this reenactment will take place. So, Father, we, we pray, oh God, that you would help us until then to take this word of life that you've given to us, to take this message and to do what you've called us to do. We cannot resurrect the dead. You can do that. We cannot. But you have given us certain things to do that we would remove whatever stones, that we would remove whatever obstacles might be in someone's way, that we would answer questions, that we would speak the word of God that we would do what you have called us to do so that as your word is spoken and as the gospel is preached, those who are spiritually dead would come to life. Only you can do that, God. We pray that you would do that. If there are any here today who need to be saved, we pray that this would indeed be their day of salvation. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said a moment ago, if you're here this morning and you're still in that tomb of sin and condemnation, and Jesus is calling you. He's saying, come forth. It's time to come out. Come out, come and follow me. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here today and you want to take that step, you need to take that step in following Christ as Lord for the first time, would you let us know? If you're watching online, you can send a text to that number on the screen. We'll send you a link 
Click on that link and let us know exactly that step of faith that you're taking today, whether it's to be saved or if you just want to know more about what it means to be a Christian, if you want to know more about our church or baptism or anything like that, let us know as well, and uh, we will respond to you and set up a time to meet with you, and we'd love to tell you more.